today and yesterday and hear all the stories that you probably haven't heard of so far on the podcast my guests have ranged from bandmates to local other musicians that i've shared the stage with to other musicians that i've seen and have been just deciding to get to know them better and hear about their stories but today and the next couple of episodes as we wrap up this season are a little bit different we're going to see stories from the other side of the tracks uh, from a more national level. This week, my guest is Ryan White of the band Resident Hero, who used to frequently tour with such bands as Flyleaf and Fair to Midland. I've known Ryan for a good number of years, and I somehow I haven't chased him off, and he still calls me friend. Uh, <laughs> so we sat down and caught up a little bit and talked about uh, how we became friends, and tells me a little bit about you know what life is like when you're on tour all year long, what it's like to record in a big fancy studio in Nashville with a I, Grammy nominated, Grammy winning, I don't know, award winning producer who is who's worked on a lot of famous records, uh, and the ins and outs of working with the record industry and how even though Resident Hero never actually got signed to a record label, how close they came and all the ins and outs in between as well as telling some super embarrassing stories including one that I was laughing so hard at that I was crying uh, maybe you won't find it as funny, but I found it hilarious. Anyway, let's just let's keep on listening and just ignore me and just blah, 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 go on with it. Here we go. Now I lost you. Hello? I'm, I'm still here. I, I don't but see your face you anymore. I, yeah, so was yours. Uh, there you are. Ah, uh, there we go. Yeah. yeah. Hey. It, it wouldn't be something with me if it wasn't crashing and burning. That's what it is. Yeah, there you go. There you oh, go. It's all good. Yeah, no, pretty much what I'm doing is it's a real laid back kind of uh, just kind of chatting with folks and stuff comes as it is. Uh, mostly <clears throat> the main idea that I've had with going with this is that um, I wanted to talk to people about stories of things that I've seen or weird stuff that only happens, you know, at concerts and stuff like that. And then it slowly evolved into, hey, there's a lot of people out here who are mostly here on a local level have, you know, they've done things, they've seen things, they've had these, these similar experiences that I've had and everything, but we just never went anywhere. So you don't get to tell these stories, but that doesn't make them any less valid. So it's still like, Hey, I had my dream of picking up an instrument and playing in front of a crowd of people. And maybe that crowd was 50 people, but wow, that was the greatest day of my life. You know, but you know, the right. radio station is not exactly beating down your door for that story, but there's still interesting stories to tell. And so it's sure. just kind of evolved from there. Um, cool. And then occasionally I get lucky and I talk to somebody like you who has had some level of success and it uh, brings a little bit of a different perspective in there because right. I mean, you've toured, you've played in front of, I'm assuming thousands at a time in some, in some instances you've, you've put out For professional sure. records yeah. and you've, you've been almost, almost <laughs> to the peak of the mountain there. So that's all. I a smelled it. I, yes. I smelled it. I got, I like opened the door and they were closing it on me, but I stuck my nose through and I smelled what it must uh, smell like. Well, that's so. a lot. That's a lot further than, than a lot. It's of lovely. Too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> smells it good. Smells like, smells like potpourri. I bet. Maybe. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Lovely bouquet. There you go. But yeah. Um, so I don't know. I guess. Uh, 
don't know. This is like the the weirdest thing because now I'm I'm trying. I think I'm I'm finally at a point where it's it's not weird to me anymore. But I'm like this is this is a moment that I've stalled myself for years and years of knowing you because when I met you, I'm like, oh, here's this band that I really like. And then the more I'm listening, I'm like, I really like this band. This is my favorite band. So I'm following you guys online, doing all these things. And then I am fortunate enough to meet you and befriend you. But every time that I would talk to you, I'm like, do not ask him a million questions about music. Do not harass him about these things. Don't be that guy. Even though I had these questions and stuff, it's like, don't. Well, do here's, that. I mean, here's one thing. Um, I'm always open to that because like the people that are the closest to me in my life, like a lot of my best friends never gave a shit about my music or my band. Like my wife loves, like she wants me to constantly make art, but she's not sitting here like fangirling over the stuff that I write. If anything, she looks at it with a critical eye, you know? Um, But like, I don't bring up, I'm not the guy that's like, I'm going to tell you all these stories that you didn't ask about stranger that doesn't know me, you know, like that's, you know, so someone that actually cares absolutely asked me those questions because it's a bit of time travel for me. And it's a bit of like, wow, I really did get to do that. And like, I really got to be and I'm still considered an artist, which is all I ever wanted when I was like 16 years old, like writing sad songs in my room about my feelings. Yeah. You know, um, so I feel like you should tell like because to me, I, it would it's even weird for me for you to say that like you see me as like any sort of musical dude other than the guy that had to come pick up his guitars with his grandmother, you know, like maybe you should tell that story to start to kind of uh, let everybody know when the, how quickly I can shatter an illusion. Well, we, we sure can. Cause that was something I wanted to bring up because uh, I, I, you know, th- that's, that's something that I've told story that story to people over the years. And now I'm like, let me tell my version of it and let me see how yours yours differs because I'm sure it is. Um, but yeah, so this, this is what, 2007, uh, I saw you guys, you, you were all touring with Flyleaf. Um, I saw the show. I'm like, this is great. You guys doubled back through a little later. I saw you again. Everything's going on. Uh, yeah, and, and you're coming through, you're touring all over the place and then <clears throat> you played here in Little Rock Oh, Are Little Rock sh- was the third time? That might have been the fourth time I saw you. Wow. I don't know if I ever knew that. I remember, I I remember s- you coming with the, the homemade shirt, but I didn't know yeah. you'd seen us before. I didn't know, yeah. you know, like we were kind of the underground, like hardcore Flyleaf fans liked our band because we were Lacey's favorite band. Yeah. So that was kind of where we first started to see people like, oh, I love Lacey so much, but I love Resident Evil too. I made my own shirt because they, yeah. they can't afford more than one shirt design. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. To, yeah. to be actually the, the very first impression I had you guys was, yeah, because you played at the village, which is what used to be an old um, an old movie theater and they hollowed it out and turned it into a venue. And I remember were, that place. Yeah, I remember big, that place. Yeah, big yeah. open uh, theater looking place. I was excited. My friends like, hey, we're going to go see Flyleaf. I'm like, oh, I remember them. They were on the radio last year. Sure, we go. And they're like, and because you also were playing with Kill Hannah, which I'd seen earlier that year. I'm like, I like them. And then somebody mentioned, and then there's a third band called the Sick Puppies. I never heard of them. They were great, fantastic. And I'm like, all right, this will be was cool. Tour. It was, it was fantastic. And then they're like, oh, there's a local opener. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, all right, four bands. All right, that's fine. And then I get there and they're like, oh, there's another band. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? There's f- five too many bands. Yeah. It was yeah. way too many. I was pissed because um, at the time I was working overnight at Target. So I was going to leave the show and sleep for like two hours and then go to work. And I'm like, I was not happy at all. 
and you guys pop out. I'm like, who are these people? And then, well, you, you impressed me. It was great. So it was all right. Nice. It was, it nice. was fine. Um, but yeah, I saw you guys a handful of times. You happened to come back later that year to Little Rock. Uh, it was a really fun show, even though there was like two of us in the crowd that knew who you were. Everyone else kind of sat in the back was like, nah, no, but that's one that's more fun. than I remembered. Yeah. That was a, that was, uh, there, I, there was just nobody there. Yeah. Oh, what, what's no. that? What was that place called? That place is cool. Uh, we played Juanita's. there a few times. Juanita's. Yeah. That's Juanita's. A, like a legendary, legendary venue. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I loved Juanita's. They, uh, they actually shut down. Well, they moved, they closed up shop from there, even though they'd been there for like 20 years and they moved downtown and then due to bad business bad business management or something they shut down completely so they're they're gone completely now that's a bummer it is a a real bummer bummer. because one yeah Juanita's was an institution um so yeah so this is uh the weekend before christmas so this is like maybe the 21st 22nd of december you guys move on you play a couple more shows and then christmas eve you updated your myspace page or somebody did and put a post in there hey cool line of shows blah 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 we'll be back after christmas and then somebody made a straight comment, Ryan's an idiot, and he left his guitars in Little Rock. So Merry Christmas, everybody. And I'm like, well, that's unfortunate. So without thinking, I post a little comment on there. I'm like, hey, I'm in Little Rock. Do you need someone to come pick them up or hang on to them? Because I knew you guys were coming back through like Louisiana or something. And then I get a message from Facebook. And Ryan says, here's my phone number. Call me. So in my head at this point, I'm like, oh, gosh, this, this musician <laughs> who I really like is, you know, because... MySpace, you know, puts you really in there. But at that point, it's it's mostly been bands who are big and they have like media teams and they don't really look at the comments. Right. They don't care. But here's a guy that I've seen on stage multiple times that I admire and I really like their music who just gave me his phone number. And now I'm having a panic attack. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, uh, I call you. You were chatting for a few minutes and you're like, yeah, if if you can pick up the guitars, I'll meet you somewhere. I'm like, all right not even thinking about it. Cause it's Christmas Eve at this point. This is like at 11 o'clock on, a, on Christmas Eve in the morning. Um, you know, plans shuffle around. I go pick up the guitars and you offer to meet me halfway. So I drive like two and a half hours again on Christmas Eve. I'm stressing out the whole time because I'm going to meet this guitarist that I really admire the whole thing that's running through my head all here. My sister comes with me who is your age. So she has no idea who you are. So it's it's completely lost on her. She's never heard Resident Ear. I play it in the car. She's like, eh, okay, because not her kind of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm she's like, will you calm down? I'm like, I'm fine. You know, we get there, you guys pull up, and yeah, you pull up with your grandma, and I'm like, cool. He's got there with his grandma because I guess you were visiting home for Christmas. Yeah. And that's yeah, and that's when the uh, uh, as I described it to someone else, it's the the glass breaking, shattering the back of my head of, oh, this is just a dude. It's a very talented dude. But he's just a dude because, yeah, we spent the entire two hours or so that I saw you there eating at McDonald's and you not saying practically a word about anything music. And it was just your grandma telling me stories about you as a kid going, oh, I used to pick him up from school and he would sing Green Day and he'd play the piano and do all these (laughs) things. And I'm just like, oh, this is nice and sweet. But I'm like, so at the moment, it's like you were way up here in like rock star Godland. And now I'm like, this is just a dude, which is exactly what my sister said. Not in a mean way. She goes. This is just some skinny guy who's my age. Who, who is this guy? I'm like, you don't understand. Then I'm on the drive home. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. It's fine. You're it's, like it's, listening it's, to the songs, like trying to like, ah, I guess it, maybe that wasn't as good as I thought. And next song. Like, next song's uh, good. We're going to no, get him out of here. Was, yeah, let's, let's listen to something else. Let's um, delete this phone number. I don't think yeah. we need to talk about this anymore. <laughs> what a waste of time. He didn't even give me gas money. 
Um, yeah. yeah, that's pretty much exactly how it happened. No, but it was good yeah. because after yeah. that, you know, I'm like, all right, you know, cause I feel like anytime you interact, uh, growing up, you'll see people on TV, you'll see people in music and movies and things. And we tend to put people in celebrity status, like up on, up on a pedestal, um, which we really shouldn't. I mean, people are super, especially and that's great. Well, here, but when you're young, especially like, like if Daniel Johns walked into the room right now, the lead singer of Silverchair, as a 41 year old man, I would like shit my pants. Like there is still, I think because music, uh, a song becomes so much bigger than a person. Mm -hmm. um, you acquit, like you write a great song and you're trying to connect to people, but once you kind of like release it into the atmosphere, it, it takes on a life of its own because if you're trying to connect with people and write vulnerabilities, people are going to make it their own story. You know, if you're, if you're a good writer, like they're going to take it and it's going to become like a part of their identity if it hits them right. And then it has nothing to do with you anymore, but we still equate the original writer of the song or the singer. Like you wrote something that got so close to me. It's not even stuff I could, share with my best friend or my parents. I think that's where it comes from. Like, I don't care about celebrity at all, but there are certain musicians that I still, like every night I saw Fair to Midland play, there's some of my best friends during that time. I watched every show and I literally was in the audience just like a gate every single night. And like, I, to a weirdness level, cause like I was on tour with one of my favorite bands. So I was always that kid that was like you that loved music that much that just ended up getting lucky and you know, right place, right time. And then it just kind of happened, but I never lost that kind of wonderment, you know, for my fellow musicians. Well, that's good. Definitely. And, and what I mean, like we, we, we shouldn't look at them on a pedestal. I don't mean it like, I mean, just mean like as there's still people and they're not totally. better than you necessarily, but their talent. Yeah, definitely transit, especially you have something that touches you that much. Um, in, in my case, and it looks like in your case, more than movies or things. Yeah. Music will do that to you because it takes places. Um, but yeah, for me, at least in that, in that instance, it helped me understand that a little better. So I'm like, I'm not now when I go to shows of any musician, there's still always that little bit there because it's like, oh, I've seen them on YouTube. I've seen them on TV. Uh, and now I'm equating a face with the music and they're a real person. Um, but it was easier to, all right, let me look past that now. And as, as a human being, they've got this talent. Where did this come from? Let me observe more of their craft and let me grow from that and learn from that and everything there. Uh, which mm -hmm. is what I was able to do with you guys. Cause I'm like, all right, I know them personally, which allowed it to be, now I can not be this awkward weirdo whenever I see them at shows, or I can send them a message and say, Hey, you're coming through here. If you need a place to crash. And now I'm like, now you're staying in my house. It you're definitely did start that. Yeah. Without that accident and that whole grandmother, uh, you know, beaming situation there, there are countless like times we went through town that, uh, well, I guess you can count them, but then we never would have, we never would have gotten to hang out with you. We never would have gotten to know you on a personal level. Oh yeah. You know? And then, and you know, if, if one of your random fans is like, Hey man, you could stay at my house. And it's like, well, I don't, we don't know you. And we don't know if you're going to murder us. So probably not, but you know, you're, you're three, three larger men as compared to tiny little me. So I think I'm pretty sure you could take me if I was trying to kill you. So yeah, it didn't, didn't yeah. happen that way. Didn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of, let me backtrack this. You mentioned silver chair a second ago. I don't know if you remember this or not. And this, this is another one of those weird moments where I'm like, I guess we're friends. Um, do you remember when you called me once upon a time when Silverchair broke up? I don't. Oh, I okay. don't remember that. Yeah. Tell I, me, I, tell I didn't me about think it. so. 
So I am, uh, whatever this was, 2011, 2012, somewhere in there. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Um, I, I'm, uh, with, with who's my wife now. We, we had just gone out to eat. We got takeout. We sat down in the living room. We were getting ready to eat and I get a phone call. My phone rings. I look at it and she's like, who is it? I'm like, it's Ryan white. She goes, that guy from that band. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, answer it. I'm like, okay. I'm like, go pick it up. I'm like, hello. And you're, you're very distraught. And I'm like, is everything okay? You're like, no, man, you don't understand. I'm like, what's going on? And you're telling me that, I guess that was the day that silver chair is like, we're done now where they announced it and everything. And right. you were, you were super upset. And I think you might've been a little drunk. That might be what it is. And I'm like, Oh, that might've been it. Yeah. 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 And, and, but you were, you know, you're talking to me about it and telling me how much they meant to you and all these things. I'm like, Oh, and you're like, you know, you get it right. And I'm like, I don't know much of their stuff, but okay. And that, that seemed to like almost upset you more. You're like, how can you not know who silver chair is? I'm like, they're good. Oh, I guess. Man. That's funny. Yeah. And That's then when funny. it was all over, yeah, I hung up. She goes, goes oh wow I, I thought you said you guys weren't super close i'm like we're not i didn't think why would he call me of all people okay all right so i thought that was that's funny cool. man that's that's really interesting maybe at the time i was like i don't know somebody that like i feel like my my music and silver chairs music i was so heavily influenced by them that uh maybe there would be that connection there i don't know that's funny Either way, i remember being super butthurt that they uh were done you know? yep. Well, it, yep. it is, it is always a bummer when your favorite bands just kind of break up and don't tell anybody. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's a thing that happens. You yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 The band that you were in that I met from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess if you don't mind, take me back a minute. Um, so I, I'm guessing that you have probably your whole life. You've always been a music guy. You feel the music, you want to play music, you have music in your, your heart and your soul, but where, where did you first learn to, to in, embrace the music? I guess that's really vague, but I don't know. Um, so I, man, I was super into photography when I was little and I, I didn't even start listening to music until I was 13. I think I think a friend of mine, let me borrow like a sound garden and a green day tape that he had, that he had made. And I started getting, I started watching MTV and stuff. I was like, Oh, this is music's great. I had no idea. Like, I mean, the only thing I'd ever done is really sing in church. You know, I was in like the church choir. That's about as, as far as I went musically. And I was like, um, one Christmas, my dad was like, well, you're super into music. Would you want a guitar? I was like, whoa, a guitar. I never thought about that because I played sax in band, but oh. I mean, it wasn't like, I just kind of played i mean i played the jurassic park song that was like my favorite song to play in band that's an impressive um, one to do yeah and i was and so but i was like okay like that could be cool i'd get a guitar start taking guitar lessons but never with the intention of being in a band just i just wanted to play green day and at that point i think silver chair was like already infiltrating my mind as far as favorite band status i just want to play a bunch of their songs eventually you learn a bunch of songs you get bored you start writing music just as an experiment you know i the first song i ever wrote was just so horrible i still remember like every note of it because it was so bad but it was like this is what you do and now i have to write lyrics because you know i guess i'll sing because i don't know anybody else so i'll just sing the songs and one thing leads to another and i do a silver chair cover for like my sophomore year high school talent show we played pure massacre we won the talent show and then after that it was like "Ooh, i like this feeling i want to do this for the rest of my life and it just kind of slowly built and you write 
a hundred shitty songs before you write one good one um, before you figure out your identity. Uh, so I just wrote and wrote and wrote and eventually kind of learned that the thing, you know, cause we all have like the thing that makes us special, you know, what's the thing that like separates me from, the next guy. And I think for me, it turned out to be vulnerability, like just writing really honest about like snapshots of my life and really like, you know, I, I love people, but I, I, especially when I was younger, was always kind of terrified of them. So it was like my way of trying to connect with people as an only child and having a small family. And so like, I love music so much and I found people so endlessly interesting. I just wanted to find connection points turn, uh, a lot of my music ended up like it sounds so dark and angry and depressing because I, I'd like to turn, uh, you know, the snapshots, really horrible things I was going through into something beautiful or something therapeutic for myself and maybe for somebody else. So that's when I started to figure it out, I guess, is when it became a little more about healing myself or connecting with someone else. And then it started to build into something that was, I guess, uh, I, uh, more commercially, uh, viable. Okay. So w- once you started getting going, did you, did you like start a, start a band with some friends in high school or in, in college? Or you just kind of wing it on your own for a while. So interestingly enough, so, um, Jono, who's the original drummer, um, for resident hero and still like a brother to me, um, he was, we were playing against, our two bands were against each other in sophomore year. He was in a, a rival band, I guess, you know, whatever. Um, and then we met up like at a, at what, what, like maybe the one high school party. My friend Lainey had a, had like a party and Jonathan came to this party and um, asked me to play a song. I played him like the second song I've ever written, which is infinitely better than the first song was. And he was like, yeah, that's awesome. So we didn't have a bass player. So, um, my dad was the bass player for a long time. So I don't know if you probably know this, but he was like the first version of resident hero. My dad was a bass player for like almost seven years. Oh, wow. Like when we did all around Texas and we had our little following, it was like me, my dad and John Owen. That was the original version of resident hero. Hmm. Um, named such named as resident hero. Um, and I mean, I guess I could stop. It all just depends. I can ramble on about histories all day and you can kind of edit it. Just tell me where you want to, to you go. Bring it on. You tell me as much or as little as you want. I'm all ears here. Um, all right. So from there, the Jono eventually left the band um, and dad and I moved to LA and met up with Jay, who was my favorite drummer in Austin when we lived in Austin for a short period of time. And, Jay was like, yeah, I'll play for you. So then it was me, Jay and dad. And that eventually dad moved back after a while. I mean, it's adorable to have your dad in your band, but we're talking about trying to be a professional musician. That's just not going to work, you know? And I, I mean, I was always really close with my dad. So I didn't really even think about it that way or have the heart to everything but firing my father from probably like the favorite thing he's ever done. So when he sat down, that was kind of a relief. Luke joined the band because he was playing in a different, project um called sarah overall was signed to sony records um that was like a gun for hire gig so luke joined the band and then we kind of exploded immediately we joined the battle of the bands like i mean it had to be like within a month of luke taking over and then we won that whole thing and they used that and rolled it into the ydp um 
So we like, we won that and part of the contest winnings for, it was like a Sammy Hagar shot at Cabo Wabo that they used to do every year. Um, so we ended up using, like they sent us some stuff. We like this, the gear that we won, we sold and we rolled everything else into our free recording time in Sausalito at this like uh, studio called the record plant. And so that's where we recorded the YDP. And then right after that, Flyleaf uh, was like, oh, we get to take our own. We're big enough now that we can take our friends. And I mean, that's a whole different story. But, you know, um, they championed, they basically gave me a career, you know, gave me the opportunity to play in front of people. When you start, the, the coolest thing about being like a national band is like right from the get go people look at you different than like a local band. Like you could, we were absolutely a local band when we first started playing those shows. And, but we were on a national tour with your favorite band and Flyleaf because of the kind of music they made and how like young they were. A lot of kids, we were the first, first or second band they'd ever seen in their life. Oh, you know, we're playing in front of a bunch of like really young teenagers. And like, we were like one of the first experiences of the live music they'd have. So we were able to build like a fan base really fast because we, you know, it, when you're one of only a couple of options, it makes you look a lot better, you know, as you kind of learn how to get up to national band status. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, cause I remember it, it either during the show or right after the show, you guys had said like, we're the only unsigned band this tour. And yeah, I look you up online and go, I've never heard of these guys. Who are they? Oh yeah, they're very talented, but I saw them here. And yeah, once you see somebody, there's definitely a difference. You see somebody in a, uh, in a big show capacity as compared to this, this dive bar down the street. I mean, the talent might be the same, but the presentation is always a big part. Presentation. Of you've got on. lighting. Yeah. You've got lighting. You've got a sound system that's ridiculous. And like with us, like we had Flyleaf sound guy was running our sound. So like all that crazy stuff that eventually started happening with my voice it's just because he liked our band. Like I had no control over that. We just had a sound guy that cared, you know? So it just makes you sound, it, make, it, it makes you from bad to good or from good to great or from great to amazing, depending on how you connect to the music. Definitely. Yeah. And then, yeah, you add in the raw talent if you've got that going on with it and it just makes an unstoppable yeah. force there. So yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. Yeah. With the, uh, you guys, latched on to the right band at the right time there because if you had gone with any other um i don't know any any other genre or any other fan base it might have been older folks who are like oh yeah they're okay but yeah if you're if you're definitely hooking in with um a younger you know preteen, early teen crowd in there yeah not not to say that well, hey you're cultivating a bunch of young girls but they're the kind of people that will listen to something and and for lack of a better word obsess over something and just kind of we're going to roll right. into that and you, yeah, you jump right. on. Plus, I mean, in addition, every night I get on stage with the headliner liner and, uh, you know, do a duet with a song that I sing on their record. So even if you miss us and you show up later, you're still like, oh, that was a cool thing. Like, and Lacey did this like monologue about this guy sings on a record. He's on tour with us on So I Thought. And so it's like a double a double whammy. If you thought we were okay before, and then you're like, oh, wow, there's like a relationship here. This is really cool. It was just like an unfair advantage that we absolutely were just so fortunate to have. Yeah, definitely. I, you probably did, but did, did people a lot of times then mistake you for dating Lacey the whole time? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, totally. I, 
I, I bet so. Because I I, yeah. I can remember numerous times when like the first thing you'd post somewhere is like, no, I will not give you Lacey's phone number. I don't. We're just not having like, who's doing yeah. But I get, you know, again. So many that, times. New, I still new, get emails. I still get emails from people asking me for Flyleaf demos that like unreleased demos they're searching for. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> like, I mean, and I, I'm nobody, but like, come on. Like, that's a little weird. You've got that connection. You got that. You were there yeah. in the beginning. So you probably have yeah. something. And even though you say yeah. people, I don't know you. I bet you do have something squirreled away that people don't have. That's like, ah, whatever. I mean, probably. But probably. Yeah. I mean, I do the same thing with you uh, every once in a while. I'm like, I'm sure you've got some resident hero things piled around here. And you're like, sure. But you're not getting it. And like, sometime. No. But, you know, that's all good. That that's that that comes with that, that connection that you've got in there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I guess... Cause I had talked to you about it at some point. And I think I had talked to Jay about it at some point I had forgotten because flyleaf were they coming up in Texas around the same time? Is that what it was? You guys were just kind of. So born. they were, uh, so flyleaf. Yeah. They were called passerby at the time. They had to change their name because of music business stuff. But um, so we played a few shows together and then we just kind of magically became each other's favorite band and we just became super tight and like Lacey became my best friend. And it was like, we were the bigger band at the time. So we would tour all around Texas because um, we had a little bit of a regional following and they would open for us. And we were like, all right, whoever makes it first, like we're going to do this for the other person. And Lacey just took it like to the nth level, you know, they got signed and, and she, they, when they would send um, early, early days for Octone, um, when they would have to send their new demos, because at the time it was still like, largely mail when they would mail like their demos to octone to critique they would mail it inside of a resident hero press kit you know like <laughs> it, it, like she was like non-stop we're gonna make this band make it and so anytime they ever had the option of who to bring even though you know bringing bringing us means fewer ticket sales for everyone it, it, especially at the beginning because nobody like we didn't have a name you know like you you put bands on bills like to you know how many can you draw per city? Like this is a 1600 cap venue. Like, do you know, can all the bands like contribute this many ticket sales to where like it's a lucrative night for everyone? Like that wasn't even in their line of thinking. Lacey was as punk rock as you can get back in those days, man. They all like, they like the real deal, that band. Definitely. And it, it always came off like that. You guys were always, I mean, for crying out loud, you toured with them for at least the better half of, two three years or something like that yeah yeah we were yeah we oh it was so fun god definitely yeah. so you know and that, and that brings me to another another thing that i've i've been learning about the more about um in, in the music industry in general obviously i didn't make it to anywhere and i wasn't planning on it wasn't going to happen but everybody who starts a band you're like i'm going to do something but you it's the things you learn along the way the more i look at other bands and examples it's like it's part talent it's part uh being in the right place at the right time and also part who you know um because it sounds like i mean you guys could have eked out you know a win here and there but thanks to flyleaf being on the rise it's like we're going up the ladder we pull you up with you and that's that propelled you up to move on for sure from there definitely for sure yeah we were definitely like doing our own thing and getting somewhere but then it just like fast-tracked us you know to the nth degree, it was, you know, we had done things on our own, but when it was time for them to give a hand, they definitely went above and beyond. 
you know yeah and then from there uh you got to tour with a lot of other people because you were seen on a bigger tour and they're like oh yeah. i saw this then you make connections there. then we you know we got uh you know through all that stuff like the manager of lincoln park was our manager and he helped oh. like like that's really when things started getting to the the next next level um because rob only had i mean he he ran uh, he ran a business i believe it wasn't the firm. It was another, I can't, I can't remember what it was called now, but um, he, he ran like a management company, but he only had like four or five bands. And one of those was Lincoln park. And one of those was us. I mean, he funded look all by himself. Like he paid for it out of his own pocket because he was so confident that somebody else was going to pick it up. So having, having a solid manager that believes in you is, is a big part of it too. It didn't end up working out for us in the long run. Um, timing and kind of the death of that era of rock music notwithstanding like you know sometimes shit just happens but from the ashes of that you had other projects that came in and kind of did a little bit of the same you went from resident hero and then you started doing birds in new york or or was that just kind of a hey resident hero is kind of floundering at the moment i need somewhere else for a creative output yeah birds um Resident Hero was like not quite on hiatus when I started writing with Gavi. Um, in fact, that was like bubbling below the scenes before Resident Hero went on hiatus. And there was a little bit of like a jealousy situation going on. Because um, Gavi was like really wanting to pull me in that direction. And then Jay and Luke were really like, we don't want to become like a pop band. Gavi's not joining the band. Because like, he did a great job on look with the piano stuff we ended up mm -hmm. doing. That was kind of like where things started to get married. And I think um, that's when they kind of split into two different factions. Uh, Birds, Birds almost got signed like immediately without even a fan base. Like Atlantic Records was really interested in us. And then Michael Blue, who produced it, um, who broke like Augustana and Colby Calais and One Republic, like he changed management right when we were supposed to go to Atlantic and then that all fell apart because his new management didn't want him to become um, a shopper. Like he wasn't supposed to shop bands anymore. And we were kind of one of those late era bands that just ended up holding a bag of nothing, you know? So a lot of bad luck, but I, stories happen to thousands of artists a year, you know, like getting so close and then falling apart, but yeah, birds got really close. It was, um, it, it eventually got too safe because if I was going to make pop music, I wanted it to be interesting. Um, mm -hmm. And I think like Gavi and I, did, I, I never really gave two shits about how much money I was going to make with, with art. Um, as pretentious as that sounds like still like, you know, now I really love making music. I'm sitting on like 30 songs um, that I haven't released just because I don't have to. And I want to do it in the right way with like the right mixes and the right masters. Like, but now it's just for fun. There's no pressure. You know, when you really start feeling the pressure and you're trying to make a career out of music, it takes a lot of the joy out of creating. You start making decisions based on the people around you that that want to make money off of it, because of course they do. That's the whole point, right? But you start to see it in a grown-up manner and it takes some of the the joy away from just, you know, feeling like a painter, you know? Yeah. No, yeah, I hear you. Um, that's one of the things I've always I've always wondered. What kind of a pressure is it for, uh, and the difference when you get a band because they almost 
nine times out of 10, you get a, a band that pops onto the scene with their, you know, their debut album, which is usually not, it might be their third or fourth album, or this is, this is a mix of all of their good stuff before they got signed, which is why, you know, the first albums you hear of a band is always great. And then when they come with the second one, I'm like, I can't imagine what kind of pressure that is where you're like, all right, this is our job. Now we have to, you know, hold on to our fan base while expanding a new fan base, creating new music and doing that. And it's like, you're, you have to compare yourself to yourself um, as opposed to you're just writing music just for the fun of it. And you're like, I want this. I think this sounds good. We're going to roll forward with this kind of a thing. So yeah, it's uh, I can only imagine what kind of pressure that becomes when it starts becoming not, not so much life and death, but you know, it's like my future depends on what I'm putting pen to paper here. For sure. So it, it just changes kind of, the, it just changes the natural evolution of the artist. You know what I mean? Especially in this day and age, like, you know, back when labels weren't run by money folks, they were run by creatives. Like you would develop artists for longer. Like you think Prince would have like gotten as many shots to become Prince. You know what I mean? Like how different and how incredible he was like that. I don't think you can have a Prince these days. You know, like yeah. give me something that I can sell now or we're going to move on to the next thing because people don't have the same attention spans, blah, blah, blah. The album is dead. I sound like an old guy, you know, right. um, but there is some truth in it, you know, as far as like just artists don't they're not allowed mistakes like they were pre our era, even, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you get 10 years to write your first record, you get three months to write your second. That's true. And then I feel like you don't get that kind of freedom again until you've been a band for 20, 30 years and you put out 15 records and then you put out records for fun. Um, and then that usually works unless it doesn't, you know? Uh, yeah. The, the only reason I think of that is like, I, I love the Foo Fighters and I've never been like a hardcore Foo Fighters fan, but every third or fourth album of theirs, I'm like, this one's really good. And the other ones I'm like, these are okay. But I feel the same way. I, I'll see them live every time because they're awesome. Yeah. But like, wasting light hits and you're like yeah oh. every song so good and then yeah. two, the next two records is like eh, yeah. maybe one single i like yeah do your yeah. thing go good for you but i'm i'm gonna sit this one out absolutely but yeah. you know the the fact that they've been around so long and you can tell you know dave Grohl talks about songwriting he goes we're having fun we're writing songs we're doing whatever people are gonna buy it regardless they're they're they've hit that level where like it doesn't matter what they do they're still going to be able to be successful, but they they're allowed right. that freedom again, uh, which, yeah, I wish yeah. everybody was able to have. But unfortunately, you know, we bow down to the almighty dollar and corporation where uh, you have to deliver. Somebody's got to make money somewhere. And it, that doesn't always equate totally. to my heart and soul is in this song about my breakup. And they're like, well, we don't care because there's 900 songs about breakups on here. You need to be a little more snappy. And you're like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> And it's funny because now, I mean, I talk about it sounding really callous, but I'm, I absolutely, when I produce young artists, like definitely produce them along the lines of the way I would be produced as far as cut the fat, get to your point faster. Like cause at the end of the day, if you want, if you want to be great, you have to really be palatable. You know, that's the world we live in. You can't like, like, here's a handful of ideals. We'll see how, how much uh, sustenance you get from it. Definitely. Drop your seven minute song down to four and we'll talk. Yeah. 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 Um, so then I've, I've always been curious and, and these are, again, all these questions are just the ones that I've held on to for the last decade. And I'm like, now let me dole them. Ask away, dude. Yeah. 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 So what, what has your been your, um, 
because I like asking everybody this question because it's interesting to me. What is your approach when you're when you're writing a song? Where and I know it probably varies from thing to thing. Where does it start for you? Do you start with the tune? Do you start with the lyrics? You just kind of get a vibe and throw it all together. What's your preferred go to there? I've kind of done all of the above as most people do, but my main thing is like I do the music first usually. Really? Like I'll kind of like sit around and just kind of work on something and look for like a vibe for, um, I, I wish I had a less hippie way to say it, but like just a feeling from a song and the song usually kind of starts to dictate the tone to me. Um, and then I'll start either picking, like if I'm, if I'm writing for a record, I have like a song wall with like a bunch of seed ideas. And like, I kind of like have all these like one line, like things for when the music hits the right way. And so it's, it's a little bit symbiotic like that to where like, mm -hmm. I always have my notepad on even now, like even when none of it matters anymore, just like I always like a good line. And if I'm in writing mode, like I'll have them visually to where I can see everything and then pair um, the music to whatever it is that I had that would, that would fit together. And then I kind of just, you know, like when you're trying to start a fire, you know, you just like hit two stones together and, and hope like to get it going. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. Uh, that's, that's how I've done stuff a lot of times. Um, Cause if I'm not writing something by myself, like if I'm in a band situation, I'm usually not touching any instruments whatsoever. So they're writing the music in front of me while I'm scribbling things. And then I just kind of, if I, if, if, if something's not striking me as they're playing it, yeah, I'll look through my notebook. I'm like, uh, will this fit? Hey, this fits. No, this one doesn't. And just kind of squeeze it in there but yeah i've never heard anybody else doing that before i don't know why um because yeah. usually it's like oh i wrote this song and i had a tune in my head as i was doing it but you're, you're doing that i call it copy and pasting but it's not really that but it's just kind of like i don't know throwing everything in it's not mixing it up that that's usually the highest yield way i have it like where i feel prepared for when it's time to write like sometimes they come like um to where i'll have like the melody the hardest one is when you get like when i wrote um tears and kisses i was working at a uh, saddle ranch this like chop house on uh sunset strip in hollywood and i just got this like the whole lyrics of the chorus like in my head while i'm like work running around working I'm, like if i am a liar and i'm a thief and i was just like i remember running out the back on my like it's probably like one of those stupid blackberries at the time you know with what i think i had to like leave myself a voicemail or something because it was that long ago i remember singing that to myself and then later going like i hope i can find the chords underneath it and then that one came together like from like that exactly the way it sounded and that i can probably count on one hand um how many times that's happened in my life to where like you you have it in your head you can sing it out and then everything lines up perfectly and there was a song just kind of like melts out um Sometimes it feels like, I don't know if you feel like this, but I equate it to like archaeology almost to where um, almost like, even though I know it's like, this is like foo-foo weirdo stuff, but like, like the song exists, like it's always existed in the universe. Like, and you're just kind of like, you see like just a bone sticking out through the dirt. And then you just like have to do your damnedest to stay out of the way and not break and just unearth this like beautiful thing without messing it up, you know? So just like care, it's like, I, I guess I just, uh, it makes me take extra care when I'm writing, even though I know it's like bullshit. Like for me, when I'm writing, it's absolutely like, 
something that motivates me just to be extra cautious that I'm giving the song the best I can. Yeah, definitely. When, when you feel something, you see, you start to see the glimpses of a song that you can tell in your heart is going to be special. Yeah. You take extra precaution. You're like, I got to make sure that this, this works because even if you play with it for a minute and you go, I, I don't know, it's always going to be in the back of your head somewhere on a file and a notepad in the, the tone. And someday you're going to, yeah, you're going to come back and you're going to dig a little more, dig a little more. And then it, when it finally pops up, you better hope that it's still in the moment that you don't. But yeah. 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 You Cause once those. you break or you break a bone and it's over, like you play it, you overplay it and you take it the wrong direction and you spent six days on it. You're like, I hate this. It's dead. I'm killing it. I hate this song. Like that's happened so many times. I've murdered so many songs because like I couldn't get it and I just would lose patience with it. And then I just hate even hearing it, you know? So that's why the caught, like being cautious, being gentle was, Mm -hmm. uh, was a big deal to me. But anyway, you're going to have so much editing. You're going to have so much editing to do because that's all good. Talk, talk, talk. That's Um, what I want. That's what I want. Just yammer. Talk on. Yeah. I, I talked to, uh, in fact, I talked to Jay a couple of weeks back. Um, and part of it was just catching up with him before I realized that we'd, we'd talk for like four hours. So I'm like, Oh, Jay is I, a talker. He, he will is. talk your head off. Yeah, yeah. He never stops talking. Yeah. That's all, that's all good. There's no worries. There. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you guys were doing, um, so you, you finally hit a level you'd gone, you'd been touring a flyleaf. You toured around with different people. You got to tour with fair to Midland, which, it's still to this day one of my my greatest missed opportunities i feel because you guys went on tour um and i had tickets to see you i think it was like in mississippi or something like that and two like two days before that show and a couple other shows got canceled because somebody got sick and it was it bummed me out to no end i was like andrew uh really injured himself i think is that what i think that's why we had to cancel one show I think, okay. yeah, something. I remember he, he like sprained his ankle to the point where he thought he broke it. And that may have been the one show that we canceled or it may have been sickness. Maybe it was me getting sick for one show or something too. I don't know. I can't, what, whatever yeah. it was, the whole show went down and I'm like, of course, the one show that I'm going to go to, but that was a hell of a tour too. God, that was like, that was, that was excess, man. That was rock and roll that, uh, that fair to minimum tour. <laughs> Oh yeah. Not to rub it in. Not to rub no, it in. Yeah, that's that's fine though. Cause I, I in, in somewhere in my dreams, I go, oh, okay. And and it also didn't work out this way. But I'm like, that would have been great. I look back and I'm like, that would have been fantastic. But I, I think it would have been even better had you guys toured with them later when they were promoting their next album. And you oh, guys were promoting so if you guys were promoting that and look at the same time, boom. That, that would have been amazing. That because yeah. that that album of theirs is uh, Arrows and Anchors is like one of my favorite albums of all time. It's so me too, good. man. It's so, so good. good. Every song. So good. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But you guys from the, like, I don't know, I'm just I'm making assumptions at this point from the notoriety of touring around these bands and getting to a level. Then you finally got to a point of um, recording what would be look. So your big, your big studio album, what, what got you to that point? Was it just, has there always been a plan of like, we've released EPs, and now we want to put out a full album where you just didn't have the chance until then, or how, how did that come about? Well, I mean, I'm definitely an album guy and I love the challenge of like taking the listener on the journey. Like, and at that, I don't think the album was as dead back then as it is now, as far as like people still were into listening to albums, like long form. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this, 
I, you know, we were trying to get a deal before we made the record so that it could be like properly produced. But then um, we had a few fence riders that didn't quite get there. Like, I mean, Sony was interested and then Atlantic Steve from Atlantic, the guy that signed uh, Paramore, like came to see us in Chicago and he's like, I'm putting a deal together. We're going to offer it to you guys. And then we had, um, we had uh, God Warner, um, Andy Oliphant, I think his name. Yeah. Timothy Oliphant's brother, Andy Oliphant is who looks just like, like, so similar to his brother. Um, he yeah. was a big fan. He signed Avenged Sevenfold, but he didn't have signing power. So he would come to like all our shows in LA and really wanted to sign us, but he couldn't get the write off on signing us yet. Like everybody was just sitting around watching. So then Rob pulled the trigger on it. Um, I wanted to work with Brian Virtue because of um, 30 Seconds to Mars. I just thought the way he produced uh, Jared Leto's vocals were like out of control. Mm-hmm. Um so we met with Brian and, it was, and Rob was like, let's just do it. He's like, I have this guy, Steve Lerner, that's going to sign you guys. He used to do head of radio for Warner Brothers. And like, you know, it'll it'll get us to where we get picked up by a big label eventually. If you guys go with, I think it was called Rocket Fish. Um, so, but that's all like dumb industry stuff nobody cares about anyway. I don't know why I'm even bothering. No, it's good. Um, but, the details are better. So but can- so... Yeah. So Rob, like this, like he didn't think he was paying for it at the time. He thought, you know, we'd have a label by then. Um, but he was like, go ahead and get going. We liked Brian. We went into pre-production. Rob wanted us to do 20 songs. Um, and we went in and just like we used, we went into Nashville and I mean, it, I don't even know where to start or how to describe making like a record with a real producer. I, I wish I, I wish I only got to make records with real producers like forever because it's so difficult, but if they're good at their job, they make you the best version of yourself. Like he had me sleeping in the studio when I was doing vocals because like everybody else was kind of in party mode. Vocals are the last. So Jay and Luke would come home and Blake, my, my best friend, he was also like our merch guy and would do the videos and stuff that back in the day was really unique for us um before everybody you know could make videos on their cell phone but um so i would actually sleep for two weeks in the studio and just wake up and do vocals all day and just sleep in the studio until the next day um so and he he didn't allow anyone in i mean that's those vocals on look are probably what i'm most proud of like in my whole career as far as like what he got out of me um is you know i didn't think that i was that good of a singer you know and then like at the end of it i was like all right like, I'm proud of this. This is awesome. Um, just the fact that Look ended up being this, like, dark, ambitious record instead of 10 Happy Without Me songs um, was a big deal to me. You know, I'm super proud of it. And, you know, we could have... I, I think, you know, there's definitely different versions of that record that would have come out with a different producer that may have... We may have hit you know, because like maybe it'd be a little safer, a little more palatable, like, you know, Oh, Howard Benson, let's go all American rejects with this band and like, let's really polish it up and, and get them out there and get them on the road. And that probably would have worked well, but that I think look was the truest version of what I wanted resident hero to be, you know, and we were like super seasoned at that point. So Jay and Luke were just like gnarly, you know, so that, just watching them was inspiring. I just remember like 
I can't believe I'm in a band that's this good um, when we were making that record. Well, definitely. You, you can you can hear a difference not only in uh, sound quality, but just in a, in a general sense of these are the defining versions of these songs that you heard on the previous EPs. And then you get the full album and you go, oh, shit, this is this is a whole different level. This is something different. This is what, it, it, you know, from a listener's point of view, I'm like, this sounds like this is the intended version that you should be hearing. You know, you hear it one way live. You heard it before in these recordings, but here it is done this this is it right here um i i used to uh joke around like with jay and luke or like if i was describing like what resident hero was it was like we're on a pirate ship on fire and it's sinking into the sea and we're like on deck playing like a song about the end of the world as we like go down with the ship like that's kind of the level of explosivity and passion that i was always going for when i wrote for better or for worse because like it's cartoonish it's melodramatic but like i goddamn meant every word that i sang you know like knowing how ridiculous it was you know um yeah. and i'm proud of that that's good well I'm, it's, it's good to be yeah. proud of it because it's gets good stuff it's good in there um i don't know how you were able to whittle down from however many songs you started with and he was mentioning 20 and get down to the final 11 or 12 you put on there but kudos to you for doing that because it's it's, it's killing babies it's the worst yeah it's the worst yeah the, the original version didn't have throwing knives it had um permanent tracers instead uh, you son of a bitch yeah <laughs> yeah um and i still don't know what and, and uh look was actually like i think it was the middle of the record instead of no no look was second so it was like a one-two punch of vendetta black into look and it really worked but then the the rest of the record gets sleepy later so that's why we put tears and kisses second like sequencing is such a big deal and and like tears and kisses is really like the introduction to everything we're going for on uh, the ambition of the record and so right after vendetta black that's kind of why we started it with the you know the strange arrangement of a pop song and tears and kisses mm-hmm yeah, I always wondered why that song was second because you, you come really hard hitting right out the get, and then it just kind of, uh, and then it then it crescendos back up. It was always interesting. Yeah, um, and I think I had talked to you about this years ago. Maybe it was just I wrote about it. I don't remember, but yeah, there's a definite uh, right down the middle of that album. It's like the first half has this just building. This is here's a collection of songs. When you put them all together, it works individually. They work. Um, but they're their own half. And then once you get to about track five, track six, it's just the whole tone of the album flips on its head. And it's like an acceptance. I'm still mad. Here is this. It's almost like a story from start to finish, whether that was intended or not. That's what I always visualize of like, maybe it's a, a, a tricky situation life. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a whatever, but it's like, it comes up and then there's like the crescendo in the middle. And then it does this until you get to the end with uh with time is nothing and that just just goes off yeah. all over the place there yeah it was intentional like i think sequencing and like i tend to write autobiographically like mm-hmm. it, it in my older age like nobody really wants to hear like dad songs or like i my wife is cool songs you know so so i don't really i do more storytelling now um or pulling from old old piles um to get that kind of muse back but back then it was very raw and so it was easy to kind of sequence it from like relationships or life life struggles into like 
you know, a storyline because it was all snippets of my life. I don't know. And like I said, you can feel it. it's a very well paced album. I mean, you listen to it. It was tough. Have, yeah. It was tough to get it right. Yeah. I bet. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of albums that you listen to. Uh, I mean, you, you always have like your favorite albums, but there's not a lot you can listen to. That's like, I'll start this on track one and I'll want to finish to the end. It, they could be that's good songs, the challenge but, yeah that's if the it's challenge. not paced well you'll get in the middle you'll ah, yes. skip ahead you know? it'll get sleepy it'll get like yeah it's um it's or like oh i'll just listen to track seven or i'll start from eight to twelve and i'll move on to something especially now these days mm-hmm. like god everything's just a buffet definitely. um but yeah i'm proud of that i'm definitely proud of that um it's tough because i tend to write a lot of moderately tempoed songs so it, you know it's you you end up killing some of your best or having to save them for later because you can't be too samey because since i wrote 99 percent of the things especially on that record on the acoustic guitar mm-hmm. like you know we're not the band that goes in and just jams on a riff or like oh jay come up with a drum part i'll write to it like we were never that band i i kind of wish we were i wish we'd done more of that we didn't really ever rehearse that much we kind of get together for a week before a tour um or play like once a week when we all lived in LA, you know? And I think that was a big weakness for us too. It's like, we thought it was good enough that we sounded as good as we did not having to rehearse that much, but it's like, well, what if we just would have done it all the time? It would have been even better. And we probably would have written more stuff. Um, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty and all that shit. That's all good. It's, it's yeah. good to look back and you're not, you're not bitter and angry about it. So that's always good. So, oh, one hundred percent. I'm just really happy that I got to do that. You know, I I have nothing but good feelings about it. I I think the studio helped me kind of like, you know, apply the solve to heal the wound as far as that goes. Because a lot of people never really get over it, but the studio is kind of my band now, and I get to make music all the time. Like whether I release it or not, I just feel creative all the time. So that's you know. It just makes me happy for that time. And I always thought fame was kind of gross anyway. So like, I never wanted to be any sort of famous. So I'm not missing anything by not being famous. I'm like, sweet. (laughs) You know, like I got to connect to uh, more people than I ever thought I would get to connect to. And I don't have to like go through that whole thing. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, there, there's, there's always a certain amount or a level of a mountain that people want to achieve and climb to. And, you got to get to a certain level that uh, you were comfortable with. And if you would keep, if you had changed your priorities or changed them differently, you probably could have ascended further had you decided, or you could have stayed where you're at. But the fact that you went, you got to a certain height and you're still comfortable with it and go, this was good. I'm also very happy with where I'm at right now. That's a nice, good balance. You get, you get a, a much oh, happier man. ending. Yeah. I can't even tell you how relieved I am that I truly feel that way. No. You know, it's one thing to say it, but it took me a long time to be able to like, like really release it, you know, like, like professional athletes, like professional musicians, like, you know, it's, it can be difficult to kind of return to just a regular nine to five kind of life. But, um, this one works for me. So, Hey, go team. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so anyway, what else you got? <laughs> or did I even answer your question? I don't even know. Oh, we're good. We're, we're bouncing right. around there. Um, cause I, cause I have, I have questions out, out the wazoo as, as you're talking, I'm like, Oh, this and this and this that I've always wondered. Um, but, but yeah, in, intentionally on that. Nice. We, Keep that in. Keep that, that in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
people are used to my rambling at this point. It's all good. Nice. Um, before we lose, leave uh, uh, Studio Land from Look, I, the question that I've wondered, um, and maybe you can, if you remember this story well enough, I'm sure you do. Because uh, you, you had, you were mentioning you had the, like the video diaries you guys did during the studio. I remember watching those every week. And you're like, oh, this week we're doing guitars. This week we're doing this. And told little stories. One of the one that was most compelling to me, and maybe it's more so because it's my favorite song of yours. You guys told the story of how you came into the studio with Time is Nothing. And you came out of the <laughs> studio with an entirely different animal kind of here. Yeah. Can you uh, walk us through that just a little bit, if you remember? Oh, for sure. So it was the last song of pre-production. It, we were like, I remember it was like, oh, time is nothing. Here we go. This will be so easy. No big deal. It, like nothing's going to change. It's the last song in the album. It's like almost five minutes long. Virtue's not going to touch it and we can get to recording tomorrow. And he starts listening to time is nothing. He's like, nope. Um, he's like, this doesn't work for me. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's like a fan favorite. And it's like, one of our most important songs as far as identity goes, like it's, uh, it's special. And he's like, what's special about it? He's like, it sounds like you guys are trying to take me somewhere and you almost get there, but then you're just like, eh, and now the last chorus. He was like, it's just not that interesting to me. Make it interesting. He's like, if you want to take your listeners on a journey, take them somewhere. Don't go by normal song structure. So I got pissed off. I was like, this is a problem. Um, and then before we broke for the day, um, a tornado siren started like sirening like through the city. So we had to lock ourselves in the studio because that was the safest place to be. So we, we were forced to be locked in the studio for a good three hours. So I just took, I was still in a bad mood. I was really pissed off. I took uh, one of my guitars into one of the vocal booths and just sat in a vocal booth for like vocal booth, sat in a vocal booth for uh, probably a half hour and just like wrote that bridge, like almost immediately lyrics and everything. Um, that, Would you believe that the love you were giving away? That kind of whole new C section um, mm -hmm. at once. And then I called Luke and Jay in and we rehearsed it, brought Virtue in. He was like, yep, now you're taking me somewhere. And that was the end. And then we just recorded it like that. But it, like, if not for that tornado siren, I don't know, it definitely wouldn't have been the same because I think I needed that like negative energy, that like that uh, compounded pressure to like at the at the time like get something out of me instead of making me go pout like a child. You know, I had nowhere else to go. Go fix this now, and you know, if it doesn't work, like it doesn't work. We'll just save it for the next record. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do something I'm not proud of, especially not with this thing that's my baby. And then it ended up really. I feel like time is nothing to me is the embodiment of that, like sinking into the sea while playing a song about the end of the world feeling, you know, if it's not the best thing I've ever done, it's like top three. Definitely. So he was right. He was right. And that's why I talk about like having a producer, like push you in ways that you don't know you're capable of, you know? Oh yeah. And yeah. that's, that's probably why you decided to go with him when you did your solo album, right? Oh, I just love him. He's like my mentor. Like every everything, every way that I produce like these young kids is like a light version of Brian Virtue because like they're children. So like even like the teenagers, like he he can be very, he's not an asshole, but he's an ass. He's like the nicest guy in the world, but he almost doesn't even want you to know who he is. He's just very no bullshit. 
He tells you exactly what he thinks. And he's not, he's not, his job isn't to worry about your feelings. Like, like you're a professional, you're here. I'm going to treat you like a professional. Um, and I expect great work. That's like, just make it excellent. You know, um, at the same time, he's really fun to work with, but when it comes down to the hard stuff, he's like, you know, he'll get it out of you. But yeah, that's, so the, the, uh, cry wolf, that happened by luck because I was just a mess and, you know, Resident Hero had broken up and Birds had broken up and Sidewinders, um, which is another side project. That was just like a really sloppy, um, fun, like co-write project that I knew wasn't really destined for like greatness. It was, it was like me taking out the kind of that dark character that I write about in a lot of my songs. Um, that kind of dark version of myself. Like that was like the center, the centerpiece for that band. Like there was only that character. Um, but I didn't know how to be Ryan White. And I went on an acoustic tour with my then friend at the time who later became my wife. And uh, he saw me on that acoustic tour when I was just trying to figure out if I even liked making music anymore, if it had all just gotten so broken that, you know, I was just like a sad sack of shit that played acoustic songs. And he saw it. He kind of helped me figure out how to have a solo artist sound. So he, he volunteered for it. I, I would be too, I would have been too scared to even ask him. Um, a lot of that was just him being a really good person and just trying to help a kid that was really lost at the time which is why Cry Wolf is so morose. You know, I mean, it's like, it takes like depressing to the next level in some, some places, but you know, that's without that, I don't think I ever would have been able to let go of the old identity, you know? So anyway, tangent. No, that's good. I mean, that there, there it is. comes back to it. That's a good example of uh, making progression through the people that, you know, um, you know, you, you were trying to figure out what you're doing. And then here comes Brian again, who you have worked with and he's got the know-how and the pole that kind of nudged you a little bit in that direction. Um, so what, what is it like then to go from uh, you write, you write, well, I mean, I, I guess you, you've, you said that you do a lot of your writing on your own anyway, and then you bring people, you bring it to the band. Uh, but how, how different has it been from there to go from, Hey, I have my band. My bandmates were creating songs together too. Here's a song from start to finish. This is all me. Uh, I, I I don't have any backup on this. I don't have any other input. This is this is my vision, one hundred percent. So I think it, I I will say Resident Hero. Ninety nine percent of Resident Hero, I wrote everything on the acoustic guitar, and then we'd work it up in practice. So it wasn't that different. I just needed to have the reins again. Mm. You know what I mean? I think the co-writes from Birds and the co-writes from Sidewinders, it made me realize that I needed to have a little bit of ego in order to truly be like proud and happy. I need other musicians to make me better. I'm not um, deluding Jay or Luke at all by saying that. It's just factually honest that I wrote the lyrics and the melodies and the music for the songs. And then Luke and Jay would come in and like, pump it all up to make it bigger and better, you know? And we'd mess with arrangements and stuff at that point. But like pretty much everything was like, like it was for pre-production and Cry Wolf, same thing. Just like the band came in while we were in pre-production instead of the band working everything up as the songs are being written. Okay. Yeah, I feel like that takes a certain amount of, 
I don't know, bravery or cojones or whatever you want to call it to be able to do that on your own. I mean, maybe it's just me and my background of like, if I write something, I don't know why I don't stand behind it without somebody standing kind of behind me going, yeah, that sounds good. Let's, let's do this together. And, but to do it, oh, it always feels better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But I did it with Brian. I was like, Brian, which of these songs is good? Like, Oh, here we go. Let's listen. All right. These songs are the ones we're going to do. You know, like it's never just me. It's um, I agree. You know, no matter how much I love a song, you need the people around you that are going to be contributing to the song to make you better and come up with different ideas that you wouldn't normally have to um, embolden and um, make the song more three-dimensional, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what makes music special. It's not, you know, it's always good to have one visionary, but you need other musicians to like round out the sound and make it special, you know? Right. Definitely. Which is probably why you brought in a bunch of your friends to do uh, do all the instrumentation on that. Totally. Well, not all. But so John, yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, so on Yes Sir, um, Jono, well, Jono played the drums on the whole record. He was the original drummer for Resident Hero. And then my dad actually played the bass on Yes Sir. So it was like kind of like oh. one 45 second piece of the original Resident Hero from when I was a teenager that was That's like cool. really fun. Yeah. 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 So a little fun, little fun trivia just for you. That's that's really interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I, I look over here every once in a while, you're like, oh, yeah, we did this and this. And I, I had known in little bits and pieces that you had been resident hero far, far prior. Back. Yeah. 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 Because even I remember at one point seeing, um, I was at a venue out here that, you know, the, they would have, you know, pictures in the wall bands would come through and I see this picture here and it says resident hero. I'm like, yeah, somebody had the name. And I go, no, that's a very young Ryan and some other is that guy. What the, other is guy. that with the Adidas, like the full Adidas outfit, the worst yeah. photo of all time <laughs> with the Oakley's? Yep. With the Oakleys on, I was 18 and Corn was my favorite band. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Adidas top, Adidas pants, Adidas shell toes. I probably had Adidas underwear. God, what an asshole. Yeah, it's like <laughs> one of the most. We were on, they're still floating around. We were in Oklahoma with Flyleaf and they woke me up to show me like the photo that was on the wall at this venue in Oklahoma. They're like, Ryan, like all the other bands are laughing at me. Like I walk in and everyone's just standing around pointing at the picture. Thanks. <laughs> okay, guys, I'm going to go back to sleep. Um, yeah, I suck. I'll uh, see you guys later. Yeah. It's, it's your past past yeah. back. Don't come back to haunt yeah. you. Yeah. 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 I earned it. I earned it with that outfit. You know, before you have self-confidence, you just kind of emulate your heroes, right? Definitely. There you go. I think you had a yeah. mustache too. So that, that was in the, that you just knew that was going to come if you had a mustache. <laughs> I know. I think it was a goatee. I think oh, it was, was like it a goatee? really right. sloppy goatee, but my, my mustache hair, like, so even now, like when I, when I, this is like a five, when I, when I trim my beard and I have to do this at like a three on the mustache area, because I'm such a redneck that my mustache hair is like twice as thick as the rest of my beard here. So wow. you're welcome. That's a, that's a fun fact just for you as well. That's, that's something we all needed to know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to share that. <laughs> glad to share that. Definitely. Legit mustache. Yep. Yep. Motorcycle oh. cop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you can do that. Yeah. I can't, I still can't grow anything in my face and that's fine. I'm totally cool with being almost 40 and unable to grow facial hair. It's all good. <laughs> God, that's terrible. It is, but that's, that's my life. I, I still, I, people still mistake me for being now so much. It's a little bit like they think I'm in my early twenties, but at least five or six years ago, people still thought I was like a teenager and it was bad. You know, that's the best I, though. 
Oh yeah. Like, if I was it's anywhere, awesome. yeah. If I was anywhere near a high school in the middle of the day, somebody's like, Are, shouldn't you be in class? I'm like, uh, no, no, I should not. I, my, my 20 year reunion's coming up. So no. Before the gray, I, the gray has really started coming in. That's been like this last year. Before that, I was still um, constantly thought of as like at least early 30s. But the gray, once the gray comes in, it's over. So yeah. I'm just embracing it. Salt and pepper, baby. Yep. You, you've also got mm-hmm. like the, the nice part in your hair now, which you don't have longer hair. This is the shortest hair I've ever seen you have. And you've got the. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The dad, this the is dad my, like, hair. A dad hair. I own a business hair, you know. Um, and you're wearing yeah, a polo shirt. Little, little, little. Oh yeah, that's my. So I used to wear. Lock, you're locking it all in. It's all. I in used there. to wear t-shirts to uh, to work, and then over the last couple of months, my wife was like, "You uh, need to stop dressing like a homeless person. You own a business, and uh, <laughs> this is embarrassing." So I bought some nicer shirts just for work. So yeah, I got a lot of different polos because I'm not doing the button up. Damn it! I wore a suit for like three years, and I hated my life. I'm done with that. <laughs> So it's, it's all part of growing up. It's part of the being yeah. an adult, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. That's Gotta what they tell put me. A Want to be an adult? Put a button on it. You know? Definitely. Make sure there's a button somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I've learned. Oh, man. Um, when it came to touring and things, did you ever have like just an absolute disaster of an, of an evening or something ridiculous happened that you look back now and you go, ha, why? How? I know that's a little I mean, question. but uh, I really, I mean it would probably be showing up in Austin and going to get my guitars in front of my hometown Austin crowd. And then my guitars not being in the fucking van. That was a pretty good one. Um, it was in uh, little rock. They were in little rock. So I had to borrow a guitar. It was like a flying V um, from a friend of mine who didn't have a capo. So we're getting on stage to play like an hour and a half with no capo and a guitar I was uncomfortable with. Um, and if you know my music, I use the capo way too often. So like, I was like, I don't even know what to play now. Um, I think we played like a seven song set and we had to stop. Um, Cause that's all we kind of were prepped for on that tour. And we were so uncomfortable. It was a horrible show. Um, but at least it wasn't like opening for five. That was like a one-off. That was like, uh, that was like a one-off in an Austin club, but that was, that was one of the worst ones. Um, there was, you would get on runs, but the best part, I, I couldn't be more of an advocate for touring. Like I was, I was that one guy that was like always ready to go every night, even if I needed to be on vocal rest, even if whatever I was born for touring, I loved it so much. I can't even tell you, like you get so good, like two weeks in to any tour you do, you get so good because you just start feeling like it's your job, like in that dream scenario way, not in the, Oh, this feels like a job. It's like, no, like I play music five nights a week and we're getting really good at this. And then you'll have like four or five bad shows in a row, but it's still like bad for you, not bad for the world, you know, not bad. Like it's just, it just feels so good when you're on like a three month tour and you're just like in the, in the pocket. So bad shows at that point don't feel like a disaster. They're just like, eh, can't win them all. We'll get them. We'll get them tomorrow. You know, I was, I was off key on that last chorus and stepping through. I kind of like the symbols washed out my monitors and I couldn't really hear what I was doing. That would be about as bad as it ever got. Um, on a professional level, I almost knocked myself out a few times, like, or fell over myself on stage in my younger days. I would like trip over my own feet because I'm lanky and I didn't really have like a, 
uh, stage presence yet. Yeah. You know, um, once I got on a drum riser in like uh, somewhere in the Midwest and like jumped off and there was the ceiling was really low and there's like metal piping like above and I like oh, landed no. flat on my back and had to finish the song like almost passed out. Uh, but that's like before, you know, we got more professional. I can't think of any just I'll, t- I'll tell you the worst memory I have. Um, All right. The worst thing was in high school, my senior year um resident hero was playing um this song called burning the edges and in soundcheck we played a different song and i moved the capo and we were opening the whole talent show and it was like i was like big shit i was like i just won most talented in my class i was like yeah i put out a cd in high school Woo! so we play this song and my dad who is a serviceable bass player but is not good at thinking on his feet he played the song in the original key and I played it one half step off. So for the entire performance, mm. and I knew it, but it was like, I felt like I couldn't stop the song at that point after the first 30 seconds. The entire performance, the bass is a half step off the like everything else. So it sounded like this is the worst band of all time. And it being like me being 18 and having just put out my first CD in high school and, and oh God, it's still like, it's like nothing, nothing professionally I ever did will, will hurt like that. Like I still think about it but randomly. It'll pop up in my head and be like, you idiot. How could you, all those people will hate you forever. <laughs> Jeez. Well, but at yeah. least, you know, maybe, maybe in the back of your head, you're like, they don't know. So just pretend like nothing's wrong and maybe they won't notice kind of a thing. I mean, oh, that's, that's what I did, but they knew. <laughs> Yeah, well, they, they yeah. always do. You just that's that's just a trick you use in your brain to get through a performance that makes you think that you're still doing OK, but you're not. I remember we yeah. played a battle of the bands once and uh, I was a little too excited. And about we had a 20 minute set and about two minutes in on our second song. Uh, I blew my voice out. So the entire rest of the time, I'm like, it's just this horrifying screeching sound that was coming out of my I was like, oh, this is not good. And I had a friend who was like childhood friend. I hadn't seen him for like a decade. And I happened to come across him like a couple of weeks prior and we we're catching up and everything. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Oh, I'm in a band. We're playing a show this Friday. He goes, Oh, that sounds great. Oh. That was the last time I saw him for another 10 years. <laughs> Not specifically yeah. because of that, but I always felt like, Oh, and then after that, I lost track of him. I'm like, Oh, that's not good. I had right. a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. Tori, yeah. you're just like, you're like, your voice is just shredded. The worst one I ever had was once again before I was professional, um, but I thought I could sing through it, and I like legitimately had laryngitis, and I mean half. It was like I would go to hit a note, and like it would just be air. So like an entire like forty five minute set was just like me going. Hey, hey, oh God! Yeah, really glad that never happened on a national. Yeah, just loop that over and over. <laughs> you could just, if you can just put drums to that and loop that, um, that can just be our whole interview. That sounds like the best Wait, set man. right there. I mean, like, oh god, no. <laughs> I like I said, that. most of this stuff I don't get embarrassed by, but those, those those few moments. Maybe it's because it was still an amateur hour, and you're just the hope. It's all you have is relying on your hope that maybe you're half as good as you hope you are, you know, like I, the band's going to make it, man. You know, and you have a, you have a show like that and you're just crushed. 
like your oh. soul is just leaking yeah you know yeah Not once you've way. already once you've already crossed the threshold there's different things you can tell yourself to like go it's okay like we'll get them tomorrow you know but pre that you're like i just need to quit and just go get an office job <laughs> my aunt works at southwest yeah yeah well i mean you, when you have that level of self-confidence or you have to have that level of self-confidence get yourself through that make fun of yourself and do things and that's yeah that's always totally. good I mean, totally. uh, when I was talking to my wife the other day about, I was like, oh, I'm talking with Ryan and all this. We were talking about something. And then I remembered what I think is like the funniest picture I've ever seen of you in my life. It's like a Halloween party of you sometime in the past decade. You're dressed as a bag of cocaine. Yeah. And I look at that. I'm like, that takes greatest. That takes ever. That takes a certain <laughs> kind of confidence to be able to do that because you look at it and you go, oh, you're a bag of cocaine, but then you add it with like just your face. You're like, oh, he the just looks like he's, yeah, yeah. You're like he looks like he's just on coke, and you're like, yeah, it's great. Gotta yeah. have just that. Just for the record, of. just for the record, I was not. Just so in case my kids ever hear this, I was not on cocaine. No, just, um, just yeah. dressed like it. That's all. Remember that time I went to your house and I was like itching or something, and you thought I was like itching because of drugs. Remember that time? Uh, no, I don't actually. But uh... you told me that like a year later, you were oh, like, okay. "You're like, yeah, you were itching. I thought you were like strung out." And I was like, "Awesome, okay, all right, Robert. Um, I'm not to itch around you." Jesus, maybe, maybe that done this kid. Yeah, well, maybe that was the first <laughs> night that you guys didn't stay in in the house. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. Maybe, because, maybe because yeah, you guys came and you stayed, and you're like, "Oh, we'll be there by whatever time," and and then it turned out to be like 11:30 that you guys showed up. I'm like, "Okay, that's fine too." Um, Were we in the Beast? Yeah, you're in the Beast. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the, yeah, yeah, and and then Luke was just kind of like, "Hey, how's it going?" And you, yeah, you were kind of jittery or something. I guess you were just excited to be out of the band, and then that's when Jade chatted with me for uh, like about 45 minutes i guess he assumed uh, that i knew what he was talking about he started talking about like computer systems and networking and i'm like that and that was a moment for him that the glass shattered i'm like this guy's just a huge nerd i don't know super nerd yeah jay is absolutely that guy for Definitely. sure <laughs> yep he knows me i mean smart dude one of the smartest people that uh, as far as like as far as like his mouth like one of the, one of the quickest witted people that i know absolutely like, don't ever get in a war with words with that dude nope he, he's all over it yeah um, all right so with the 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 maybe not over but a, a different change in career for you now so now you're doing um now you've got your own music studio and you're teaching the next generation uh yep. what 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 brought you into that was that just say hey this is my idea from the ground up or did somebody say hey you should do this so um i was looking for a way out of managing restaurants my wife and i got married and then we moved down to san diego um and i had gotten another managing job in san diego and i actually got fired from that job it was like the worst job i've ever had um, and I stood up for like, basically like all the management was just super negative reinforcement, like treated the servers like shit. It's a horrible place. Um, I don't want to say any names, but it's called Ble Beach Plum Kitchen. It's a horrible place with a horrible owner, um, in San Diego. And you should stay far away from there if, if you care about human beings. Um, but anyway, I got fired. I basically too much on the server side of trying to 
you know, make sure everything was fair for everybody. And it just wasn't a good fit. Um, so I was on un- unemployment for the first time in my life. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I get to like hang out with my kid. I, you know, I barely knew Beckett, you know, so when you manage, you work like 65, 70 hour weeks. Um, so I didn't really get to be a father, father, you know, um, while he was really little. Um, and I started looking around for jobs. I had time to look and there was an office manager opening, um, for this place, uh, in Encinitas for this music school. And I ended up interviewing and taking that job for way less money, but it was like, Hey, I could be around music again, you know, and I, I'm good. I, one thing I will say about managing is I learned that I was actually good at it. I was like, I guess if I can, if I can manage a band, I can, or if I can be the lead singer of a band and lead a band, I can lead a bunch of 23 year old wannabe actors, you know? Um, so ended up being good at it, being really good with the money side of things and the P and L side, blah, 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 like accidental adulting stuff. And it was like, I think I can apply this to being around music. It turned out I did it really well. And then that school kind of exploded um, from me coming in and kind of changing some things and making it work well. Um, and I wanted it to be my own thing. You know, it was a good school, but the lady that owned it was like really old and like her style was really like, everything was behind. Everything was like, too old school. And I was like, I want to make it like a musical community. I want it to feel like, like a place where bands can come and practice. And, you know, like our bands, like I want to produce young artists and I want them to be rewarded with like studio time during their lessons, like to like get kids over red light fever. I want to kind of grow the next crop. Um, And that's, you know, we moved out here, moved out to Charleston to give it a shot. You know, once again, one thing led to another, we got really lucky, got the first loan I've ever gotten in my life. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden I was just running a business going like, I really hope people show up. I don't know what's happening. Um, so, you know, I know this is a less interesting part of the story for people. So I'm trying to super fast forward, but now we're at a place to where we just bought the building that we've been leasing for the last three years. We had an option to buy. And even during COVID, we, uh, we are kind of ironclad. So our, we tapped into the right sort of something with people and we're super successful. And it's like, it makes me really, really happy. Well, good. As long as yeah. you found something that makes you happy, that's, that's what makes a difference. And you get to, dude, it's awesome. Yeah. You get to still do music. You get to raise the next generation. You get a little, a little bit of everything. So it's, yeah, man. It's, 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 it's a happy and to have ending. your own studio, like just to be able to like record when you want to. And trust me, I had a lot of catching up to do. I still do as far as like, like running sessions and pro tools i've had to learn so much in the last three years i didn't know any of it i didn't know i couldn't do anything without someone else's help before starting this place and that's that's been something that's been really enjoyable is like learning how to comp a vocal you know <laughs> like learning how you're supposed to properly put uh put your guitar in uh put the microphone like oh don't put it right on the cone oh, put it right there in the sweet spot now we're getting a good tone <laughs> you know it's been yeah. fun well good yeah so if you're still if you're still doing stuff on the on the fly here, are we gonna are we gonna hear another album from you in the future at some point? So um, I, I'm in a project called Rift and Redemption with a piano player um, friend of mine that was actually originally a student um, that never should have been a student. Um, he's ridiculously good. It's um, super like programmy, 
Um, really interesting. We're about, you know, we got like 30 songs. We're going to start releasing EPs, but I still am waiting on like final mixes. Great. So it should be, it should be fairly creative. It should be fairly interesting. You know, at this point, that's all I really care about is like, I, I write a lot of music, but I only want to put out the stuff that's actually interesting. Right. Well, that's the way to do it. And like you said, you yeah. want to do what yeah. what makes you happy and what fulfills you creatively. And that's all that really matters. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. sweet. Uh, well, is there anything uh, that you want to promote? Any place that you want people to find you if you want people to find you? Uh, I mean, not really, man. Whitekeystudios.com. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like being famous, but um, I, I think I can handle uh, RyanWhiteMusic.com. Um, Ryan White Music on Instagram. There we go. Wikey Studios on Instagram. Ryan White, Ryan White Music on Instagram. Um, it's been so nice to not worry about that stuff for so long. You know, like yeah. self-promotion. Yeah. This is what I'm selling you. Uh, are you sure you got all your questions, even all your nerdy questions? Because I feel like you started ducking them. I got um, a few more minutes, just if you want answers. Uh, I mean, if I really dig deep down in there, but I don't think they're really good questions to ask. <laughs> fair enough fair i don't know enough. i mean because it's just like it's always been a you know not not anything that's really going to work for a general thing because it's like oh where did this song come from or what's this or whatever like i like i have the the folder that i have my big ass resident hero folder over here to my left and i'm like i see all these albums because you when you um uh, before jay and luke popped on you guys did what like two or three albums right you got what is it uh intel yeah. left doors open Oh God, Into Jesus, Skin Deep. That was, yeah. yeah, I don't know where I, I don't know where the hell I got these from, but I got them from somewhere. Yeah, Into uh, I made like at my friend's house on his old Tascam. Just a bunch of you know, lackluster acoustic songs. Skin Deep I made when I was nineteen. That was like, I'm heavy. I'm gonna sing like this and sing heavy rock music. Like definitely like gruff. You can hear me getting less gruff as the records go on. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of, it takes a while for everybody to find their voice, I think. Oh, that's fine, though. That's no, no, yeah. no problem with that. Oh, there's another one there, yeah. too. The Feeling Before Impact. That was another one. Oh, I like that one. I like that one. Yeah. That was the one we made right before, um, right before moving to LA. That was kind of, I think I started learning how to write songs on Feeling for Impact. Like, there's a song in there called Rain Forever that the bridge is like one of my favorite bridges I've written um happy with the original version of happy without me is on there like it's when i started to figure out um lyrically and melodically kind of how to find my own lane i think yeah i mean it's yeah. it's interesting to listen to them and yeah and see the progression of, of how your how your music has changed over the years and everything it really is. totally like it's yeah. weird to, to to see that with with an artist that puts out enough stuff you can be like oh they started here they get to here i like this or i don't you know it's like oh you just yeah totally. as they go on definitely yeah yeah um, uh, uh, so just yeah edit this to make me sound super cool and not rambly and just excellent if you just, if you just make it excellent otherwise yeah. i'll say that it was all like a deep fake sure so i so this yeah. so then the hour and a half that we just recorded is going to squeeze down to about 15 minutes <laughs> That's how it's well done, sir. Well done, sir. There you go. Excellent. That, um, that sounds oh, good. Yeah. No. One. One other thing. I know. And I. I. I mentioned this years ago, but I wanted to mention again. Not. 
not that in any way, shape or form, this was had anything to do with me when you wrote it, but I'm very glad that among all of these resident hero songs, they're all been all the good. I have, I'm not just jerking your chain here when I say that you guys have been like my favorite band ever. And I always felt like I resonated with a lot of the stuff that you guys did in there. Um, I don't know where the song home came from, but when you pop that up on at one point, uh, I liked that so much. My wife liked it so much that that was the song that uh, we did our first dance to at our wedding. So yeah, so, that's awesome. Thanks for putting that song out there. Not that it had anything so, to do with me, but thanks for doing it. <laughs> no, but so, you know, I wrote that song for a friend of mine um, for his wedding. And I oh. took, so I basically asked them to send me their first letters because they started long distance. And his name is Matt Teske, him and his wife, um, Anna Teske. Uh, two of my favorite people. He actually designed all the artwork for Resident Hero back in the day. So if you have a Resident Hero shirt, he probably did it. He did the artwork for Look. He did the artwork for Cry Wolf. But so I, I basically took their, their words and turned them into lyrics. And so every line of that song is their words. I just made it into a song. So I'm oh. so, that's so cool that, um, that you danced to that song because so did they. And that's, that's like really awesome. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the more there has to be a story. Uh, yeah. And, and it's so nice. It's such a sweet song. You're like, of course, it's not my lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> I can't write uh, anything nice. So just send me a bunch of nice things and I'll carve it into uh, there you something go. sweet. You're just, just going to yeah. puppet master it all together. and we'll, we'll Exactly. Make Regardless. <laughs> yeah. I, if I, I'll make you cry the other kind of tears. There we go. That's, that's what I do. There it is. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> all right. Let, that, that's it then. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for, for chatting with me and uh, have a, have a yeah. great rest of your day. And we'll, we'll, we'll have to talk again soon one of these days. Yeah, man. Thanks for having. It's been fun. Absolutely. All right, bud. See okay. Ya. Peace out. Bye. <laughs> he just straight up just hung up on me.